Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 195 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joe. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's start with the review part. We're going to start here at the Baluan uh, Sholak Sports Palace in Kazakhstan, actually. Um, Topping the bill, just really one fight to mention. Kana Islam, a guy that I believe he's about 33, 34 years of age. He's just kind of been what seems like forever been hanging around the kind of fringe world level scene he's 25 and oh well he's now actually 26 and oh it was for the vacant wbo intercontinental super welterweight title against julio de jesus who was actually 27 and one going in but it was a real padded 27 wins and he got knocked out in the first round so a big win there for for kana islam 26 and oh like i say moving out now to the bolton whites hotel in lancashire united kingdom um Really one fight to mention over here. This bill went some serious rounds. There wasn't even a single knockout on the whole card. Every single fight went the distance. But thankfully for the people in attendance, the uh, the longest fight was only a six-rounder anyway. There was two six-rounders on the bill. One of those, like I say, Josea Burton. A six-round points win. Um, he's now 24-1. and one. It was against Edgars Sniedzi, who's now 6-27. and 27. Uh, moving out now to the Ponds Forge Arena in Sheffield, Yorkshire, United Kingdom. One or two fights to mention. We are scraping a little bit here. Tyrone Nurse picked up a win. It's good to see him back with a W. It's been a few losses back-to-back, if I'm not mistaken. He's now 36-6 and with two draws. It was a points win over six against Oscar Amador, now 10-20. and Moving out now to Germany at the CU Arena. Two fights to mention over here, really. Igor McCorkin, former Kovalev opponent, now 23-2. and It was a win over 10, sorry, 12 rounds unanimously against Timur Nikarkoev, who is now 21-2. and um, It was, oh, sorry, 21-3, and I should say. It was for the interim IBO World Light Heavyweight title. McCorkin picks up a win. I expected that to happen. 23-2 and now inside of 25 fights, but topping the bill. Sebastian Formella, now 21-0. and He put his O on the line against South Africa's Fulani Mbenge, now 15-1. and It was for the IBO World Welterweight title. Um... Again, I said it on last week's show, Mbenge, in my opinion, was a guy that had a lot of potential, Um, certainly a big name in South Africa, there's not too many of those obviously, Um, and I was quite shocked actually to see him lose to Formella, who is not a young guy, I think he's in his 30s, Formella, so... Could perhaps be a, a name to look out for there, but like I say, the welterweight division is completely stacked there. 21 and 0 formula, maybe one to look out for. Moving out now to the Barry's Arena in Kazakhstan, two venues popping off with action in Kazakhstan this, this past weekend. Um, we're just going to mention the main event here. Nordin Ubali, a successful defense of his WBC World Bantamweight title. He actually made his opponent, Arthur Villanueva, retire on his store after six rounds. Villanueva now 32-4 and four with one draw. He was actually down once in that sixth round, and he didn't want to come out for round seven. Nordin Ubali, 16-0, a good fighter there at Bantamweight. There's some big fights for him. Uh, moving out now to Poland at the Stadion Miedzki. Uh, one or two fights, just the one actually to mention here. Heavyweight prospect Lukas Rosanski. Like I said on last week's show, he'd been sparring Michael Hunter. He's now 11-0. It was for the vacant Republic of Poland heavyweight title against uh, against fellow Polishman. Izwagby Ugano, the guy that went life and death with... Um, with with Dominic Brazil, he ended up getting stopped, but he had Dominic Brazil down in that fight and and really down and hurt. It was a brilliant fight, real fun fight while it lasted. And Ugano 
actually got knocked out here in four rounds, and that's a big uh, that's a big statement there for Rosensky. I had him as the underdog going in, but what do I know? Um, Ugano now eighteen and two, and it was a bit a bit fortunate really for Rosensky because when Ugano was kind of he was kind of punched down to his knee, and his knee was on the canvas, and then Rosensky threw a shot, and then when he hit him with his shot, it completely folded him on the floor. So it was a completely illegal shot, but. I don't know if the referee kind of thought Ugano was looking for a way out and he laid down and, you know, I think if we're being completely honest, he probably should have uh, should have had Rosensky disqualified, but that didn't happen. So like I say, very fortunate there, but I think he outclassed Ugano really over the previous rounds anyway. Uh, moving out now to York Hall in Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom. A couple of prospects got wins. Yusuf Kamari now uh, now 9-0. and uh, Umar Sadiq now 6-1. and Both those guys with six-round points wins. Uh, but the well, the shock really over here. A guy called Tony Banj. He was seven and zero. He was the guy that uh, Prince Nassim Hamed, I believe, was either managing or promoting a couple of years back. I'm not quite sure if they still have any kind of connection. But anyway, he was raving about Tony Banj, saying he was a brilliant, brilliant fighter, one to look out for. But he actually lost his O here too. I'm going to struggle here. Edvinas Poplauskas, who's now. That was his sixth win. He's got 25 losses, so a real big upset there. That was a points win over four rounds, and you know how it is. When a home fighter's in a four-round fight, um, if the referee wants to do you a bit of a favor, all you've really got to do is win two rounds, you know. If you win one round, they'll probably throw you a bone and, and give you a draw and say, yeah, it was probably 2-2 two, two over four rounds, but he must have lost um, quite clearly for the referee to have no choice but to give it to Poplauskas. But that is about everything, actually, for the review part of the show. We've whizzed through that pretty quickly. Uh, that is everything. So just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do, as always, is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBC lightweight world champion, the undefeated Mr. Omar Figueroa. Omar, welcome back on the show, sir. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure having you back, Omar. We last spoke in February. Uh, It was just before the John Molina Jr. fight. Coincidentally, we actually had John on last week's show. I think it's fair to say that we didn't really see the prettiest boxing skills that night. It was really more of a slugfest. And boy, oh boy, did you show an incredible chin, Omar. In a nutshell, just talk us through that fight uh, from your point of view. A real good fight. Well, to to me, it was... was an easy fight. I mean, uh, the second round, I think it was, or yeah, second round, I, I felt that my right hand was bothering me already. And from past experiences, I decided to just cruise the rest of the fight because then I start overcompensating with the left hand and I end up hurting both hands. And then I'm out for, you know, for seven months and it's like I've already been out too long I wasn't going to risk anything so I just decided to cruise for the for the easy unanimous decision and your your next fight will be taking place next weekend on the undercard of Pacquiao versus Furman at the MGM Grand. You'll be taking on your Dennis Ugas. Now, out of all the boxers I've interviewed over the years, you're probably the one that that watches boxing the least. Um, have you seen much of Ugas though, Omar? And what do you know about him? I haven't. I've I've maybe watched a couple of rounds uh, from his fight against uh, Porter. Porter, yeah, but. Aside from that, I mean, I don't, I don't like to go into a fight having this preconceived notion of what the boxer is going to be like because I have a, a completely different style from from any of the boxers that he could have faced. Well, and then I was thinking about it. I was like, well, Porter kind of likes to rough it out too, you know. But but in that fight, Porter decided to box for some reason, and. So I mean, but I but I saw the tendencies that Ugas has, and I and I see what he likes to do. And honestly, I feel like if he does fight that way, then it suits me best. I do want to ask you, Omar. I mean, you, you say that a lot of these fighters don't fight like you do. Um, obviously, Sean Porter's got an aggressive style, just like you have. You've got an aggressive style. Have Have you ever kind of seen a boxer from history or from? you know, from the past few years that box is similar to you? Who would you say you've got a style that, you know, that is similar with? Mm, not, none that, that I can 
really compare myself to. And then put the thing is that regardless, I mean, I'm always injuring myself. So like I said, regardless of whatever style I bring to the fight, you know, for example, the John Molina fight, I I honestly would have knocked him out either a second or third round. I, I, you know, as a boxer, you can feel it right away. And I felt like I could have finished him because I, I'm sure I heard him every round because I could hear him either gasping for air or I could see his eyes just weren't all there. And I know I was catching him easy, but it was just a matter of like me not putting anything behind the punches because my hands, my hand was just really hurting. No, I understand that, I understand that. And of course, this fight here will mean that you've boxed twice in a space of five months. I mean, you haven't been that active for five years. You touched on uh, before in, in previous interviews with myself that you've had some troubles outside of the ring, health stuff, stuff like that. Are you feeling good right now, um, Omar? Are you, are you a happy fighter with this level of activity? Honestly, yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to stay this active, you know, but after when I after actually when I won the world title, um, that's when I, I broke both of my hands. So I was out for, you know, seven, eight months, even out of the gym. I couldn't, you know, I could I couldn't even hold a fist. My hand was hurting so much. And so once I got back into the gym in 2014, that's actually when I fought uh, Jerry Belmontes. And that's you know, I had a tough time because I didn't get to train. My hands were still bothering me. I Actually, uh, the fight on the Canelo and the card fell through earlier that year because of the same thing. I was still having issues with the hand and uh, with the hands. And so, you know, there comes a point in time where I'm like, you know, well, fuck this. Like, I just got to fight. And I, I, I have to rush the recovery. I have to just forego doctor's orders and, you know, I got to fight. I get paid to fight. I have bills to pay. I have kids. I have, you know, I have things I want to do and, and things I want to accomplish. So, you know, but honestly, right now I, I feel great. I'm in a great place mentally, physically, um, you know, being, staying in the gym and staying active like this is, I feel the best way to go because you don't give your body time to, to get used to anything else. I feel like, like this is the way it's it's meant to be. If I can fight three times a year from now on, then you know I I I want it to stay that way. I don't know how much longer I have in the sport. I don't know how much longer my body's gonna you know back me up. But I'm just gonna give it all I have for as long as I have. And that's great to hear because you are a guy that um, I feel. It's kind of tricky to know, have you reached your prime yet? Have you have you passed that phase yet? Has the inactivity kind of made the phase even shorter than it would be for other fighters? It's hard to say. So uh, to, to have you back active is, is obviously what we all want, Omar. The main event of your fight card next weekend, Pacquiao versus Furman. I want to get your take on that. Who do you believe wins that one, Omar? Uh, I mean, that's a tough one because I know, I know Furman, even though he has a a he throws wild punches sometimes he he's a he's a really calculated and smart fighter and so i feel like he probably will give you know pack out problems but at the same time depending on the pack out that that shows up if he if pack out healthy and you know he still has that pep in his step then i i honestly feel like he's going to catch thurman with one of his little short lefts or short right hooks and and knock thurman out but like I said, it just really depends on who shows up for each guy. Absolutely. And your brother is now the interim WBA Super Bantamweight World Champion. Of course, he boxes next month in Texas. Um, how's he getting on, Omar? He's good. I mean, um, he, he he stays in the gym. He he has uh, his his group of friends that always, you know, follow him around and they push him to stay in the gym and whatnot. The only thing that I, that I tell him is that he's got to get better sparring. I tell him to go, like, he doesn't have to go with Joel, obviously, but for him to go elsewhere and and get better sparring or talk to, you know, his team and ask him to get him better sparring because, I mean, I'm not, say, I'm not saying the guys that he's sparring down here, they suck or anything, but they're just not at the level that I would like for, for him to be sparring, you know? Like, that's one of the things that I felt like elevated me to the next level when I got to California and I was sparring all these contenders, all these you know, former champions, all these either heavier, older, you know, more experienced boxers, and that that you you can't get any better than that. Yeah, 
I think that's a fantastic comment, actually, Omar. That that really is where you learn everything, obviously, in the gym. And um, Brandon has got just sky-high potential. I really believe in him. Um, Andy Ruiz Jr. was able to stop Anthony Joshua since we last spoke, Omar. Surely you watched that fight. Were you shocked with the result? I actually... I was... Uh, I was at dinner. I was watching uh, one of my friends perform. She's a she's a singer, so she had a little gig at this at this restaurant. And my I I took my cousin. We were you know hanging out and enjoying a little bit of dinner and watching my friend perform. And then my my cousin was like, "Oh man, like can't believe we're missing the fight." And me being the person that I am, I was like, "What fight?" <laughs> He's like, "Anthony Joshua's fighting today." Tonight, uh, he's fighting Andy Ruiz. I was like, oh, for real? He's like, yeah, it's on the zone. And I just happened to have the zone because I don't know what what fight, you know, my family came over and they wanted to watch, I think it was like an Elo fight a while back. So I was like, I guess I'll get the zone, you know, whatever. I don't watch boxing, right? So to me, it was like, I don't care for the zone. But so I happened to have the zone. I was like, fuck it. So I put the fight on and we actually watched the fight there at the restaurant. And we were, we actually started screaming when Andy Ruiz knocked him down the first time. I was like, oh shit. So we were going, everybody was looking at us thinking we were crazy, but you know, we were watching the fight. And I mean, it was actually, I, I enjoyed that fight. I mean, David against Goliath, you know, you can't get better than that. No, it was it was just shocking. It was it was shocking to see. Um, obviously, the rematch. Hopefully, it uh, hopefully it does happen. We think it will sometime later this year. A lot of people that I speak to believe that Ruiz will probably win that rematch, and and probably more convincingly. Actually, even people that I'm speaking to over here. Um, Omar, just before I let you go, have you got any closing words for our listeners? Just finally, before we let you go. I mean, uh, aside from the from the cliche, just thank you for everyone that that support that has supported me and still supports me regardless of my inactivity. I swear I'm trying my best to stay mentally and physically, you know, in shape and and healthy. Um, and hopefully next week, you know, next Saturday we'll come out with victory. Hopefully, you know, I get the knockout or or stoppage. And, uh, I mean, I just hope it's a good night of fights and that the fans enjoy it. And like I say, if you do get that knockout, you will become the first man to stop you, Gas. That certainly would send out a statement. Listen, Omar, it is always a pleasure catching up with you, my friend. Best of luck for next weekend, and we'll speak sometime after. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part is usually the news part of the show, but Ayaz doesn't have anything for us so far this week. Perhaps by the end of the show, uh, some some more big news will develop as things go on, and we'll talk about it at the very end. But let's start straight away here with the preview part. It's actually happening uh, later on this evening in Italy, Thursday the 11th of July. We have over here at the Stadio Nicola Pietrangeli in Roma Lazio. Um, firstly, topping the bill, Emanuele Blandamora, 29 and 3. I actually remember him fighting Billy Joe Saunders, and Billy Joe Saunders, if I'm not mistaken, knocked him out brutally. It was probably one of, if not the most brutal knockout of Billy Joe Saunders' career. I'm sure that's the same guy. Um, 29 and 3, it's for the vacant WBC International Silver Middleweight title against Manchester's Marcus Morrison, a guy that. I mean, well, he was undefeated, wasn't he, under Joe Gallagher, and then he lost a couple of fights to Journeyman and stuff like that, so he's probably in there as uh, as a massive underdog, but it is a big opportunity for him, so I don't feel like he's got loads and loads of options on the table, so... You know, fair play to him. Hopefully he gets the win. Obviously, we want the Brit to win here. Uh, moving out to Japan at the Edeon Arena in Osaka. This one's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. We have over here the defending WBA world middleweight champion, Rob Brandt. He puts the belt on the line, like I say, against Ryoto Murata, um, Olympic gold medalist. He turned pro and all that. And then he had that fight against Hassan Indam, which perhaps he probably should have won. But he lost it. And then Hassan Indam become champion. And then they had the rematch. And then he took on Rob Brandt, and, um, you know, it's, I think it's now, the, this is going to be the final fight of two back-to-back 
rematch situations. He had the two fights against Hassan and Dam, and this is his second fight against Rob Brandt. Rob Brandt won pretty soundly in the in in the first fight, so I'm expecting him to probably do something of the same. I can't quite remember if the first fight was in America or in Japan, but this could be interesting because, like I say, Rob Brandt has got to travel. Um, if he did that the first time, I can't remember. I think he probably did actually. Anyway, we'll have to. Keep an eye on that one. Morata, 14-2, and two, hasn't really cracked it as a pro, despite winning a world title pretty quickly. He just hasn't been as impressive as I think a lot of people thought he would be. And moving out now, Ayaz, to the king of Dallas Sports City in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Let's start with the undercard. It's a real strange, strange undercard. I've said it before. There's going to be a quiz question somewhere in the next so many years, and they're going to say, what is the craziest fight that's ever, ever happened? in a place against two really strange fighters, and it has to be Huey Fury 22-2, and on the road against the Nigerian Nightmare, former WBC, or WPC, I think he said it was at the time, the former WBC heavyweight world champion, Samuel Peter, 38-7, and I think he's... He's got to be deep into his 40s now, Sam Peter. Way, way, way past his best. That's a 10-rounder there. Do not expect that one to go long. Uh, also on the bill, we have... Prince Patel, 19-0. and 0. He's been racking up those wins in Hungary. Um, I think it is where he boxes. Um, he has one draw as well, I should mention. A controversial one at that. This one's for the vacant IBO World Bantamweight title. He can actually call himself a world champion should he win against Michel Banquez, who is 18-1. and 1. I actually want to have a little look here at this guy, Ayaz, because he's got a tasty-looking record, 18-1, and one, and it could be a real, real challenge for Prince Patel. I'm just going to have a little look here. 13 knockouts, by the way, from those 18 wins. Um, oh, his last fight, he, he fought a guy. He, he did stop him in the first round, but the guy was 0-2. and two. He took on Miguel Gonzalez in his only loss, and he lost... Um, he lost he lost unanimously over 11 rounds. That's a weird one. But yeah, he didn't he didn't get stopped by Gonzalez. But then again, not a real big puncher. But that's a good fight there. I mean, Gonzalez has only lost to good fighters. I think Paul Butler was one of them that beat him at the time. So, uh, I mean, I'm looking at this guy's wins. I've got to be honest. I mean, they're awful. His wins are awful. His one big fight was against Miguel Gonzalez. And like I say, he lost. But he didn't get stopped or anything. Um... His best win was against a guy who was 9-0 called William Riera, and he is no great shake. So uh, this is almost like two mirror images of each other here. It's like the Venezuelan Prince Patel, because he's he's had all these fights against, I don't want to be disrespectful, but not real challenging opponents. And he's he's racked up a nice-looking record, and they put it on the line here, really, and it's, it's a pretty big fight for both men. Um, all the very best there to Prince Patel. And topping the bill, Amir Khan, I has 33-5. He takes on former, former featherweight world champion Billy Dibb. We had him on last week's show. How do you see this one unfolding, Ayaz? I believe it's for the vacant... WBC International Welterweight title, but I've heard about the WBC Pearl. It's all a bit confusing. Forget it, though. The belts don't really matter here. Um, Amir Khan, Billy Dibai, has talked to me. Uh, I mean, what can I say? It's a featherweight fighting of welterweight. I mean, it's a, to be fair, it's a mismatch. I mean, it's not going to be that interesting. I think Amir Khan's going to win, and I think he's going to win by a stoppage. To be fair, it's, it's just, a, just a huge payday for Amir Khan, but fair place. I mean, it's in Jeddah uh, this Friday as well, so I think Amir Khan's going to get a good win. Yeah, I mean, we can't overlook the size factor. It, it really does stack in Amir's favour hugely, um, which is something of a new thing, really, because he's been the guy giving away size many, many times. Um, it's not really the fight that we wanted to see. We do want to, if, if Amir Khan's going to actually take boxing serious, we do want to see that Kelbrook fight that seems like it will never happen. Um, Billy Dib does certainly, certainly have a puncher's chance. You know, he's he, he can bang. Um, I don't feel like you need to be a massive banger to hurt Khan. If he does hurt Khan, I mean, Khan's got so much to lose here. Billy Dib hasn't got anything to lose, and that's what really can make a dangerous fighter a dangerous fighter. So it could be interesting, but like I say, if he catches Emir Khan and did anything to, to, you know, to screw up the script and tear it up and knocked out Amir Khan, that is the end of Amir Khan. So there's a hell of a lot on the line for Amir. Um, but yeah, credit, like I say, to Billy Dib as well. He gets a big payday, he steps in, he pretty much saved the show because Amir Khan's opponent obviously had to pull out due to that car crash. It has all been a little bit car crash TV, but they're finally getting it on. 
And uh, all the best to Billy Dib, friend of the show. So I'd like to see him do well. I hope he doesn't get knocked out or anything like that. But it should be interesting. We do have to go to the predictions. I, as you believe, a calm knockout. Um, it's, it's the easy option to go with, isn't it? I think I'm probably going to have to join you there, even though I hope we're we're wrong. And the listeners also agree. 67% of the listeners going with that. So we all agree there. Calm by knockout. Hopefully it's not a bad one. Uh, moving out now to the Olympia in Liverpool, Merseyside, United Kingdom. This one's going to be on ESPN Plus and probably IFL TV, I believe. It's an MTK Global show promoted by Lee Eaton. It's actually a brilliant, brilliant card in terms of names. We've got Jazza Dickens, 26-3, and three, fighting for the vacant IBF European featherweight title against Nathaniel May, 21-1. and one. That's a 10-rounder there. The return of Martin Murray, 37-5 and five with one draw. That's a 10-rounder. I don't think there's an opponent um, lined up for that just yet. Former world champion Terry Flanagan returns to action. A huge drop down in level. I think his last fight was against Progray, was it? Or has he had one other fight on an MTK show? Probably he did. Um, yeah, Flanagan 33-2. and two. That's an eight-rounder against Jonas Segu, who's 19-8 and eight with two draws. Natasha Jonas, 7-1. and one. She takes on Beck Connolly, who's 2-5. and five. That's six two-minute rounds there. Um, should be decent. Like I say, a few names on that bill there in Liverpool. Uh, moving out now to the Emerald Queen Casino in Tacoma, Washington, USA. I don't believe I've I've actually mentioned this venue ever ever before. I like the sound of that, the Emerald Queen Casino there in Washington. Uh, it's on Showtime, this one, actually. And there's really one fight to mention of note. Just keep an eye on this. This is my kind of weird, strange, interesting, attractive fight. Otto Wallin, the Swedish heavyweight, 20-0. and 0. He's in a 10-rounder against BJ Flores, 34-4 and 4 with one draw. That is up at heavyweight, so Flores probably giving away some size there once again. Um, that is a strange one. I like those strange fights there. Talking of an even stranger fight, but one that I'm not a fan of, I, is at the Azor Arena in Alpes Maritimes in France here. Um, yeah, Olympic gold medalist 2016, Tony Yoka. 5 and 0. He's in a 10-rounder against Alexander Dimitrenko, 41 and 5. Not the kind of opponent that we want to see against Tony Yoka. And obviously Tony Yoka has built up a little bit of suspicion in everybody's minds now about the the intake he's he's been having and putting into his body and stuff like that. Very very unclear. We're not liking that. We're not real big fans of Yoka. He robbed our big Joe Joyce in that final there. Or I should say the officials, not personally him, but yeah. Um, a terrible fight against Dimitrenko there, but again, you have to kind of respect it. It's only his sixth pro fight. Uh, moving out now to the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. Let's start here with the undercard. Um, friend of the show, Willie Hutchinson, 8-0. He's in a six-rounder against Josip Perkovic, 5-9 with one draw. Sonny Edwards, 11-0. He fights for the vacant IBF International Super Flyweight title against Hiram Gallardo, 12-2 with two draws. That's a 10-rounder there. Friend of the show, Archie Sharp, 15-0. He defends his WBO European Super Featherweight title against Jordan McCory, 18-5 with one draw. Obviously, McCory, I think it was his last fight, took on Sam Bowen for the for the for the British title, so it's a bit of a measuring stick kind of fight. I know that he put up a real good effort actually against Bowen. I think Archie Sharp wants to make a statement here, so all the very best to him. Also on the bill, Liam Williams, twenty and two with one draw. He didn't end up fighting Alontis Fox, the giant, the man that is a big big friend of the podcast. He ended up taking on the Frenchman Karim Achor, twenty seven and five with three draws. Uh, that one is for the vacant WBC silver middleweight title. Also on the card, we're going to talk about these two on the predictions, Ayaz. Uh, Daniel Dubois, 11-0. It's for the vacant British heavyweight title against Nathan Gorman, 16-0. 12 rounds, Ayaz. Could be very interesting. Take it away. I think this is going to be a very good fight, obviously. Um, Nathan Gorman and Daniel Dubois are both just prospects. Um, it's going to be a very difficult fight. Obviously, uh, they're both rising stars. But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go in... Uh, Daniel Dubois to win on points. Daniel Dubois on points. Okay, interesting. Um, the listeners, by the way, have gone with Gorman on points. That's what they've gone with. So that is very interesting, actually. Um, oh, it's a tough one. A lot of people are saying that it's either going to be Gorman points or it's going to be Dubois by knockout. So you've gone against the grain straight away there, I as Both men um, can bang. I want to make that clear. It really could end early it really could end before the the final bell Daniel Dubois 
has got those 10 knockouts. The the one time he went the distance was against Kevin Kingpin Johnson, a guy that really can survive, a guy that's very, very smart in the ring. I don't think Dubois can win on points. I just don't think... I mean, he beat that guy, but obviously that guy doesn't really have much punch output. I think Nathan Gorman's not going to be negative. He's going to be trying to come forward. But you have to say the power surely has to has to lie with Dubois. The strength surely has to lie with Dubois. And the size itself has to lie with Dubois. And Dubois's got a fantastic jab. So I think that's going to be a real problem. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Nathan Gorman's going to deal with that. Because he has to kind of get on the inside, you'd have, to, you'd have to think. And even when he does, he's got to be smart. He needs to get in and out because you wouldn't want to trade with Dubois. But saying that, like I say, Gorman can punch himself. He's got 11 knockouts. He's got as many knockouts as Dubois has had fights. He's had just a couple more fights, hasn't he? So uh, he's managed to get 11 knockouts. And uh, yeah, I don't see it going the distance, but I think Dubois probably gets him at some point during the mid-round. So I'm going to go with a Dubois knockout. So it's interesting that we're all going with different methods here. It makes it real interesting on the Prediction League. But I just want to say a real special kind of mention to Frank Warren for putting these two guys in together because he does it a lot, you know? And, uh, you know, people like to kind of get at Eddie Hearn and they say, hey, you don't like to match your fighters together. And when he did, the the one that kind of jumps out at me is Fowler and Fitzgerald. But even though those guys were undefeated, they didn't really have that future like heavyweights kind of can, can provide. You know, like when you're in the heavyweight division, you're a big, tall guy, you're knocking people out. You can earn tons and tons of money, not the kind of money that light middleweights or middleweights can can earn, you know. So credit to Eddie Hearn for making that fight, of course. And it, I mean, it, it's really messed up Anthony Fowler's career for the minute. I mean, you know, he's he's really come off bad from that. And Fitzgerald doesn't really have a massive following or a massive profile just yet. But to get these two giants in together and putting it all on the line, really, the loser is in a real bad spot. So it's, it's, it's too early on, if, if we're being clever. It is too early for this fight to happen. I don't think Frank Warren was too pleased about making it, but n- neither guy wanted to back down. So pride is on the line here, if anything, and the British title, like I say. And moving up to the main event, Joe Joyce. I think this is the main event anyway. It's a, it's a great card here. It's fantastic. It's not on pay-per-view or anything. Not that it's pay-per-view worthy, but it's a good, good, good night here of free-to-air TV, should you be a BT Sport subscriber anyway. Joe Joyce 9-0 and in a 12-rounder against the American... The American threat, I think he calls himself the UK killer at the minute. Uh, Bryant Jennings, 24-3. and Ayaz, how do you see that one going down? Uh, Brian, uh, I think this. I think it's, very, I think it's another huge step up for uh, Joe Joyce. Obviously, Joe Joyce is rising through the ranks very, very quickly. He's a very, he's a prospect as well. Obviously, we've seen Brian Jennings fought, fought previously as well. And if I'm going to go win a win, I'm going to go with Joe Joyce to stop uh, uh, Brian Jennings. Joe Joyce to stop Jennings. The listeners agree, and I think I do too. I as. Um, Brian Jennings is just a bit too small, I think, for Joe Joyce. He's he's only six three. Jennings. He's not a massive puncher. Um, he's coming off that knockout loss to Oscar Rivas. He's a tough guy. I mean, that's the thing. Joe Joyce kind of... I don't feel like... I think he can bang, but he rarely kind of sits on his shots. I think he likes to get on his toes and move a bit. He's a bit of a mover, Joyce. Um, he's not fantastic on his feet, but he... You know he likes he likes to kind of create angles and throw attacks from here there and everywhere. So he's not the kind of guy that that just stands and trades really. You know we've seen him do it a couple of times, but that's not really his game. He he's, he likes to kind of you know be on the front foot, be putting pressure on, but not not readable pressure. He likes to kind of switch it up, and I do like that about him. He, he definitely brings something to the heavyweight division that not a lot of fighters have got. But um, I just think Jennings will will take quite a good beating. Um, I don't think he's got the power to really hurt Joyce, so I think it's going to be a pretty one-sided fight, really. Um, I think Joyce, like I say, will get to him and will stop him. It will probably be the the, uh, the referee jumping in. I don't think he gets dropped and knocked out because, like I say, he is a tough guy. But, um, you know, people talk about his, his gym wars with Chisora with big headgear, big gloves. You know, this isn't that. Chisora's a big guy, but he's not a tall guy. He's not got such a huge reach advantage and stuff like that. Joe Joyce is going to fight smart here, I believe. And I think he will show, um, you know, a lot of doubters that he is head and shoulders above uh, Jennings, quite literally as well, almost. Um, So, yeah, good fight. Good step up. No problem with it. But I think Joe Joyce wins with relative ease, to be honest with you. And 
you know, hopefully it's in, in a lot of people's minds a, a statement when he wins, which I believe he will. Friend of the show, uh, both guys actually, so may the best man win truly. Uh, moving out now, stateside to the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California, USA. Let's start here with the undercard. Cousin of Oscar De La Hoya, Diego De La Hoya, 21-0. It's for the interim WBA World Featherweight title. He takes on Ronnie Rios, who's 30-3. and free. That should be decent there over 12 rounds. Um... Top in the bill, though, the WBC Super Bantamweight World Champion Ray Vargas, now 33-0. and uh, He takes on Tomoki Kamida, the guy with a record of 36-2. and Kamida, again, we saw him in there with Jamie McDonnell twice uh, in both fights back-to-back. So that is the only man to have beaten Kamida. So that could be quite interesting there. But Ray Vargas, in my opinion, is a very, very good fighter. Uh, moving out now to the Armory in Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA. This one is going to be on Fox Sports 1. There's a lot of action in America this weekend. We've got over here um, Jamal James, 25-1. and one. He takes on Antonio DiMarco, 33-7 and seven with one draw. Boy, oh boy. Uh, Charles Martin, 26-2 and two with one draw. Former IBF heavyweight world champion. He's in a 10-rounder against Daniel Martz, 18-6 and six with one draw. That's a real step down there. I'm expecting Martin to probably stop him within two rounds or something, actually. Um, Gary Antonio Russell, 14-0. and 0. He's in a 10-rounder against Francisco Pedroza, 13-8 and 8 with two draws. Uh, Gary Antoine Russell, because they're never alone, the Russell brothers. There's always one or two. Well, there's always two or three, or even I think there could be even four of them. Um, Gary Antoine Russell, 9-0. and He's in an eight-rounder against Larry Ventus, who's 9-13 and with one draw. I'd like to see some step-ups, really, between those siblings there, um, including including the oldest brother, Gary Russell Jr. It gets very confusing. But anyway, uh, the, the the heavyweight attraction on this bill, Robert Hellanius, 28-2. He takes on Gerald Washington, 19-3 with one draw. Again, that's my kind of fight. I really like that one. The loser probably has to think about hanging him up. Um, Gerald Washington, a man with a lot of promise at one stage, and it seems like it's just gone horribly wrong. He seems like he, he uh, just... I don't know, just can't keep it together really when it comes to the big, big time level of the sport. Um, you know, I, I will never say, he, I can't really not mention, he was beating Wilder every single round until he got uh, until he got stopped there, I think in round five or round four, whenever it was. And like I say, against Big Baby Miller, he was, he was well, he was terrible actually. But he's a friend of the show, so we wish him all the best here against Hellenius and... Coming down to the last couple of bills, I must mention this this crazy one in the Auditorio Ernesto Rufo in in uh, Baja California, Mexico. We have over here Luis Ramon Campas, a guy that I believe I think he was a IBF world champion in like 1997, something like that. I think he had a few defenses. He's fought some guys, including including Oscar De La Hoya. I remember him getting stopped by De La Hoya back in 2000 and or 2004 anyways he's still going this is uh this is going to be his 128th fight he has a record of 107 wins 17 losses and three draws he takes on alexis canet who's 12 and 2 with two draws campas by the way has been a pro he's been a pro for 32 years that is incredible I mean, let's just give him a round of applause because that is incredible there, Luis Campas. And the final bill to mention, this one happens at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey, USA. This one, again, going to be shown on ESPN. Joshua Greer Jr., friend of the show, he is the guy that likes to bring a pillow to the way and to let his opponent know that they're going to sleep. And he's usually right, actually. Um, Joshua Greer Jr., 20-1 and one with one draw. That's a 12-rounder there against Nikolai Potapov, who's 20-1 and one with one draw. Um, Potapov... A decent fighter. Um, it's a it's a step up, really, in my opinion, for for Joshua Greer Jr. Because again, he's a guy that really has his eyes on becoming a world champion in the not too distant future. So he does need to step it up. His last few fights have been against guys that have been decent, but haven't really, you know, kind of catapulted him onto that big big scene. That's why the gimmick of the pillow, I feel, does him huge favors, really. But yeah, he takes on here. Potapov, Potapov obviously with a one loss, it came to Omar Navarez, who was a good fighter in his day, 
but he actually lost to him in 2017. So that doesn't look fantastic. But again, I'm, I'm all for this one. It's a, it's another step up there. Um, and also on the card, friend of the show, he was on last week, Shakur Stevenson, 11-0. He had an opponent change, unfortunately. He now takes on Alberto Guevara, who's 27-4. and Guevara, obviously a Mexican fighter. He was in there in his last fight against Hugo Ruiz. He lost 10 rounds unanimously. That was back in January. Um, he also fought Emmanuel Rodriguez back in 2016 and lost to him. Um, he fought for the WBC world title against Yamanaka back in 2013 and lost that one by a knockout. Um, obviously beat Jonathan Vidal. That was back in 2013. But again, I feel like the record's a little, little bit padded, to be honest. But but again, he also lost in 2012. He lost his Owen in an IBF world title fight against Leo Santa Cruz. It was unanimously. He didn't get stopped by Santa Cruz. So he's a tough guy. And like I say, if he... If, if Shakur Stevenson can get him out of there, especially within nine rounds, then he betters Yamanaka's win. He betters Leo Santa Cruz's win. It's kind of a measuring stick fight. Again, it's another kind of sidestep. I preferred the original opponent, to be honest. Um, yeah, so it is what it is. It's not really Shakur's fault. We do want to see him stepped up, though. He made that clear on last week's show. He said, Josh Warrington is the route I want to go down to become a world champion. So there is big fights for him, but I guess we'll just have to wait for the time being. But that is really about everything there for the preview part of the show. Just before we wrap up part two and finally end the show, the last thing to do is to welcome guest number two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated super bantamweight prospect. He is, of course, Mr. Tremaine Williams. Tremaine, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me. How are you doing? It's my pleasure, my friend. I'm doing very well. So, Tremaine, obviously, you're you're now 18-0 and as a professional, six knockouts, fighting out of Connecticut. Tell us about yourself, though, Tremaine. How did you get into boxing in the very beginning? Um, I started when I was nine. Um... My cousin brought me to the gym out there begging me for about two weeks, and I finally said, yes, I'll go. The first day I went, uh, my coach said, um, I can't give up, and I actually proved them to be right. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, promotionally, you're still with Rock Nation? Yes. Are you one of the few fighters that's actually managed to meet the man himself, Jay-Z, or not? Yeah. You've managed to meet him? <laughs> yeah. What was it like? Um, it was cool, but he was rushing. He was in a meeting, so I didn't really get to take his friend. So I'm like, oh, you're lucky. So man. I just said hi. But I, I, yeah, I kind of paid, I, I peeped that he wasn't really in a kind of a mood to talk. I think he was in a meeting or something. Like rushing. Oh man, well, it's cool to actually get a glimpse of the guy though, because I spoke to a few Rock Nation fighters, and a lot of them say, "Yeah, we're supposed to do a meeting at some point, but I haven't done it yet." And you've actually seen him, so credit to you, my friend. Um, Tremaine, who who trains you? Which gym do you train out of? Um, I train with a guy named Mike Conway. Um, the name of the gym is American Martial Arts. Uh, it's actually a martial arts studio downstairs, and it's a boxing gym upstairs. Okay, sounds cool. And what other boxers are, are boxing in the same gym as you? Any other names that we may know? Um, a guy named Josh Josh Ron Crespo. He's actually a um, featherweight as well. Um, a guy named Jimmy Jimmy Williams. He's actually a one hundred fifty four pound pounder. He's seventeen and two. Um, so I've trained with a few other professional athletes, boxers per se. And boxing nicknames is probably one of the very best things about boxing. There are some really, really good nicknames out there. And of course, your nickname is in relation to your height. You're, you're five foot four, and you're nicknamed mm. the Mighty Midget. How did that come about? <laughs> um, my name always was the Midget because when I my first um, boxing match, I was 53 pounds, um, soaking wet. But um, my coach was a corporate Midget. And then one time I was fighting in my hometown, and this guy named John Stehart, he said, fighting on the blue corner, the mighty midget train. It was kind of weird. It's kind of an oxymoron, mighty the midget. So it was kind of like the fierce, but almost like the mighty most. Like he's been big at heart, but small in stature, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool to hear a backstory to some of these nicknames. Obviously, and if you and if you need exactly, exactly, that's what I mean. I was thinking, hey, I don't even want to call you it because you might not like it. <laughs> is, that, is that you? No, I embrace you it. Embrace it. That's the, that's the right thing to do, my friend. Obviously, your next fight is on the undercard of Hooker Ramirez on July twenty seventh in Texas. You're taking on mm. NFL Vicente. What do you know about this guy? 
Um, he's coming to fight. He's strong. Uh, he's been there with a lot of the top guys. Um, and he's durable. I'm not thinking he's Taylor made for me though. I think I'm gonna go in there and give him a nice, um, I say a lesson made per se. Yeah, because obviously he's been around the block. He's beaten some decent fighters. He's he's got more knockouts than you've had fights. Um, but mm. you know he has been beaten by guys like Eric Hunter, a good fighter, um, and and the likes, of course, of of Chris Avalos. So a win here would be a statement. Obviously, uh, do you see this as yeah. your toughest test so far in a pro ring? I'm not sure yet because I haven't been in a ring. With him yet. <laughs> so I believe when I get in a ring with him, I probably would know. Okay, maybe. Okay, okay, interesting answer. And Tremaine, who have you managed to spar over the years? I'm guessing that you've you've been able to mix it with some good fighters in the gym. Yeah, um, Lomachenko, uh, Javier Fortuna, the likes of what's his name? Oh man, Miguel Flores. Uh, a lot of guys just it, you put me on the spot. So once you put someone on the spot, I can't think of anything. <laughs> But I've been with a lot of world champions, and actually, like, I kind of, like, understand that I need to become world champion. Like, and if I don't, well, becoming a, a, a world champion is an understatement to me at this moment. Um, I've been in with tons of um, world champions, and I've showed my wherewithal. You mentioned there doing rounds with Lomachenko. I mean, what was that like? People obviously have got him at the very top of their pound-for-pound pound list. Is he Is he the best fighter that you've ever sparred with? Mentally, yes. Mentally, yes. Okay, okay. I want to get your take on the main event. You're fighting on the undercard, but the main event, Hooker versus Ramirez, it's a fantastic fight, by the way, in the, in the 140 division. Obviously, you've got Regis Progre and Josh Taylor doing their thing in the World Boxing Super Series. This is, you know, the fight of the other two. So it's great to see this, this kind of unification. Who do you believe wins it? How do you see that fight playing out? Um, I actually grew up with Ramirez. Um, he's going to give you a tough fight. He's going to come for all 12 rounds. Um, he's going to go to the body. Uh, and Hooker, you're going to get a nice, you're going to get an in-shape fighter, strong coming to fight. So I believe that um, this is a 50-50 fight. This could go either way. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely a 50-50, yeah. Um, I want to ask you, Tremaine, who do you like watching? Like, do you, do you kind of watch it as a fan, the sport? Do you, do you sit back? Who do you like to watch? Um... George Benton, Pernell uh, Whitaker, um, and that's about it. Nobody's <laughs> <laughs> watching the other fighters. <laughs> no, that's, that's that's good company there to watch those lot. Um, and obviously, right now there there are three different full champions at Super Bantamweight at your weight class. Who would you say is the best fighter at Super Bantam? Is it even one of the champions? You tell me. I think it's myself. It's yourself already. Yeah, I believe so. You just got to prove this. Yeah, that's it. That's that's all I got to do. And I won't even get mad if somebody say, nah, you didn't do anything yet. Not yet. <laughs> but you could hold me to what I just said. About a year later, from about a year from now, you're like, he did say he was the best in that because he just didn't get a shot. And then I also had a couple bumps in a row. So I say me until someone, until someone um, puts me on. Who's second to you then? I'll ask you that. I don't know. Maybe the guy who beats me. Maybe the guy. Maybe me. Because <laughs> I think I'm the only person that could beat me. So maybe the person that beats me is me. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's an interesting. <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. Oh, <laughs> uh, I would say maybe Daniel Roman. Maybe Danny Roman. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It's 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 weird because, like I say, there's a uh, Rigondo back now at Super Bantamweight. I mean. Yeah, but I, I seen his last fight. I think it's, uh, it's I don't know. I, I don't think those tires um got a lot of having traction it. anymore. Yeah, yeah, they have traction, but it it, just, it happens. It's time. It's called father time. And then you have five hundred amateur fights. Not not this. Not to let to say the sponsors that we don't know about. Not to say the fights that we don't know about or the the countless fights that you had as a professional. Like, yeah, I don't know. Catches up with you. Yes, and I think it's starting to catch up to him now. Mm. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Coming down to the last couple of questions I've really got for you now, Tremaine. Um, I put you on the spot when I asked you who you sparred. I hate to do this, but I'm going to really put you on the spot now. I like to ask this question to everybody that we speak to from overseas. I like to ask, who is 
your favourite UK fighter. And it can be from any era. It can be guys that are still boxing now. It can be guys that have retired years and years ago. Who comes to mind when I ask you that question? Billy Joe Sanders, because I watched Billy Joe in the, uh, as an Olympian, and I always thought he could fight. That's my favorite. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, we, we, we'll accept that answer. That's uh, probably a first, I think. But no, you you can't be faulted for that answer. He's obviously you know a very good fighter, a really tricky guy. And uh, we want to see those big fights made for him at middleweight or super middle because he's now a reigning champion up there. So, uh, yeah. Nick, yeah, I, I, um, I've just seen it. I, I mean, I've seen him as, when, in the amateur in the Olympics, and it's crazy because I didn't know nothing of him. I'm like, this guy moves good. I like him. <laughs> Funny how things turn <laughs> out, man. This is why boxing is, yeah. is, is the best sport in the world. And uh, just finally, Tremaine, just before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity just to uh, just to send the final message to our listeners. If there's perhaps something I haven't asked you, something that you want to get across, you can say anything you like at all. Well, stay stay along for the ride. Um, the name is the Mighty Midget Tremaine Williams. Um, I would love to go fight in the UK. I would love to even go to vacation in the UK. Um, thanks for having me. And I appreciate all your time because, you know, time is the most precious thing um, in the world. So I appreciate that dearly. My pleasure, my friend. It really has been my pleasure. And finally, Tremaine, I do just have to say, uh, give us your your Twitter handles, your Instagram handles. Where can people follow you if they want to get on board with the journey? Um, The Instagram is Tremaine underscore Williams. The Twitter is Tremaine underscore Will. Snapchat is Tremaine underscore Midget. Um, you can find me on all three of them, and then Facebook is Tremaine Williams or fan page the Mighty Midget, um, Tremaine Williams. But just reach out, um, send me a shout out, or even a message, and I'll return with love. Thank you. Excellent, my friend. So that is, by the way, for anyone listening that wants to follow Tremaine here, that is T R A M A I N E underscore Williams across the likes of, of of Instagram and stuff like that. So get following there. But listen, Tremaine, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Thank you so much for your time and best of luck for July 27th in Texas. Thanks, Adam. Okay, and this wraps up episode 195 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the undefeated former WBC lightweight world champion, Omar Figueroa, and of course, the undefeated super bantamweight prospect, Tremaine Williams. There has been one or two pieces of news break while we've been recording the show. Heavyweight Martin Bacoli has signed a promotional contract with Matchroom Sports. He'll be fighting on August 2nd in Liverpool and that bill by the way will be topped by Anthony Fowler against Brian Rose it's finally been rescheduled also to appear on that show Lewis Ritson takes on Joe Hughes that has the potential to be fight of the night there uh, in Liverpool and aside from that it's also been made official for July 27th that Tevin Farmer will be defending his IBF world title against Guilame Frenoy that is the guy who drew with John O'Carroll you know before Carroll took on Farmer himself. We kind of knew that that fight was going to happen anyway when when we had Tevin on the show a couple months back. So, uh, yeah, that's about everything for the news. There are three points up for grabs in this week's Prediction League, so best of luck with that to everybody. Thank you all for listening to this week's podcast. Enjoy your weekends, people. We shall see you all again next week.